Go Birds Radio, presented by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. Official sportsbook of the real Philly fan. What's going on? It's Elliot Shore Parks for my friends at Window Nation. And if you've had enough of your windows keeping the house chilly, then fight the February cold with Window Nation. Right now, replace your windows and save big with 50% off all window styles, plus zero down, zero interest, and no payments for 24 months. With proven quality and service, it's no wonder thousands have trusted Window Nation. Don't miss out. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com to schedule your free in-home estimate. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is Lane Johnson, and you're listening to Inside the Birds Podcast. The Philadelphia Eagles spent last week resting up, licking their wounds, bolstering their roster, and watching some division rivals go down in flames. It was a winning weekend for the Eagles, who had the pie last weekend following their win over the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. While they were off, Washington fell apart against the Falcons, and the Cowboys fell under 500 by losing to the Titans at home. And now it is Cowboys week in Philadelphia, and there's a sense of rejuvenation around here again. Welcome, everybody, to a Dallas Week edition of Inside the Birds. Usual suspects here, Adam Kaplan alongside Jeff Mosher. Former Eagle Billy Osborne, the third part of this podcast, will join us later, and we'll talk about what's annually the most anticipated showdown of the year. We'll reflect on some of our most vivid memories of this longstanding rivalry. But first, Adam, how much of an advantage is it right now that the Eagles are coming off their bye week? They've had a lot of time to rest. And the Cowboys have a short turnaround after a very deflating loss on Monday night to the Titans. Yeah, Jeff, all the metrics point to the Eagles here. From rest, games at home, Dallas short week, they have to travel. Dallas come off a bad game. Uh, the vultures are hovering over the Cowboys here. Will the coaching staff be fired during the season or not? Uh, it's, it's a lot of negativity. Uh, going on now for the Cowboys. Uh, they, they lost at home on Monday Night Football. Not not a good good way to lose. You come out and they looked like they were going to do very well against the Titans. They came out very well. Amari Cooper got got involved early. He scored. And then he then he disappeared for a while. And then he got involved late. But um, the vibes are not good with the Cowboys here. Uh, not good uh, at all. And everything points to, and we'll get to the injury situation, the Eagles are going to get some players back who we didn't quite think would be back this Quick, mm-hmm. quickly, and all the vibes, all the hours are pointing up now for the Eagles headed into this matchup. The problem I always have with division games, whether it's Dallas, whether it's Washington, or whether it's the Giants, is that more often than not, by the time you're done analyzing the game left, right, and center, by the time you're done figuring out which team has strengths, which team has weaknesses, and which team can exploit 
when the game actually plays out on the field, it doesn't follow the script nearly as you thought it would. And that's why they say division games are unpredictable. That's why a lot of gambling people like to stay away from (laughs) division rivalries and point spreads and everything like that. So I go into this game thinking the Eagles have a, a major upper hand. They have momentum. They come off a huge win. They had time off. And we know Doug Peterson, like Andy, has been good when you give him time off. and Sends him out. Yeah. So go, get away. And conversely, yeah. the Cowboys are just suffered a very deflating loss. Mm-hmm. They've got all sorts of questions about their head coach and their quarterback. They lost Sean Lee, right, which That's is always a big, a big debilitating <laughs> loss for them and their defense. And yet, w- despite saying all that, I don't know what to expect. I think the Eagles are better. They're at home. We'll talk about this game. We'll analyze it, but it's always a very difficult game for me to break to, to, to predict and kind of forecast because it just doesn't follow the script. Yeah, I, I think there's some to be a point taken about divisional games. Although I, I on our podcast before we the Giant game, I said the Eagles will blow out the Giants. This game won't be close, right? And it wasn't. Uh, the here's the difference: the Cowboys have a very good defense. Now they're not going to have Sean Lee with a hamstring injury again. Now talking to the Cowboys about this. He's like an assistant coach on the field. There's something about him when he's on the field. Everyone rallies to the ball. There, there, there are fewer mistakes. He's such a good football player. He won't be a Hall of Fame player because of his injuries, but he's a really good football player, which could be hard to replace. Their secondaries played outstanding football. This last game, they got off to a good start, and then what happened was, because Prescott and the Cowboys turned the ball over, mm-hmm. their defense had to defend a shorter field and it was a little bit harder. Mm. But it's going to be more of a challenge for the Eagles to score in this game. I would be, you know, I know um, some people think there'll be a lot of passing. Maybe there will be, but this is, you know, you want to score three touchdowns. Eagles were, were used to scoring three or four touchdowns a game last season. Now they're scoring one and a half to two on average. Mm-hmm. They need to score in this game. It's going to be, cl- I think, I think it's a touchdown game. I think that the Eagles won't be scoring a lot of points in this game. I, I don't know what anyone else thinks, but I, I just don't see it being a high scoring game. I think it's, uh, unless there are a lot of turnovers, the Eagles have not been a team that's getting a lot of turnovers, but Dak Prescott has had an uneven season to be to be quite honest about it. You know, the Cowboys have been expecting more, but the thing that we've talked about when we've talked about the Cowboys in the show, when they've come up, they had one of the worst receiver courts of the National Football League. That is why they were traded for Amari Cooper. Mm-hmm. But Amari Cooper's not a savior. He's not a true number one receiver. They think he's going to be, and that's why they gave up a first-round pick, but talk to people around the league about him. Um, inconsistent player, you'd rather him not be their number one receiver, rather him be the number two where there's not always that much pressure because he's not lived up to that pressure. You know, he hasn't, although he did have a touchdown, uh, an early touchdown in the game, and everybody kind of thought, oh, this is great, Dak, Amari, connecting for a touchdown early, that's what it's going to be like, and obviously it was not the same kind of predictable-looking Dallas offense. I mean, you heard Jason Witten on the broadcast. I mean, you can sense his frustration from his old team. Kept saying, you live in this world where all you do is inside zone run and and you don't really mix it up, and to me, that's, that's a big advantage for the Eagles in that Dallas's offense just does not confuse anybody. It, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, we, we've talked about Doug being predictable this year at times, but as a play caller and a play designer, I don't even think you can put Garrett and, and Peterson in the same stratosphere. What, well, Linehan calls the plays. Uh, yeah. that, that's, yeah. that's a fair point. Yeah. Scott Linehan's a big yeah. part of that, too. It's just not an offense that deceives anybody in an era, especially this year with the McVeighs of the world who are you know jet sweep and all the motions and all the different things that offenses are doing now to kind of give you that eye candy to confuse you. Dallas's offense is very plain. You mentioned the turnovers. We're, we're going to get into that a little bit because I think that's, that's significant, but I think we need to really address 
right now the injury element to this game because as you huh. said earlier, yeah. Dallas is missing Sean Lee. That's huge. The Eagles got some mixed reactions as far as the injury news. It looks like Lane Johnson might play. And that would actually validate your report from uh, a week or two ago that he's not going to miss a month. He's going to be back a lot sooner. But it does look like Jalen Mills will be out a little bit longer. Yeah, so let's start with Lane Johnson here with his grade 2 MCL sprain. That is typically a two- to six-week injury. Mm -hmm. For a skill position player like receiver, tight end, running back, it's usually four to six. A team doctor, this is my 20th year of covering the National Football League, probably early in my career, like 2002 or 2003, I was visiting the training camp, and a NFL team doctor told me that, in his his experience in dealing with MCL sprains, is that linemen typically come back earlier because they don't have to run or cut. Right, they're playing in confined areas where they could sort of strap it up, wear a brace, wear a sleeve, whatever it, it would require, and the guy would only miss a couple weeks. And grade threes are are, are a six to eight week recovery. Uh, that's what Evan Mathis had. He missed he missed a full two months. You just can't. That's a full tear. This is a half a tear. Typically, that's what it means is a half a tear. Mm -hmm. And somehow Lane is going to strap it up if he can. Now, my understanding here is he'll play as long as he shows that he's completely functional. But if you get into a game with him, you still don't know because you can't. Yeah, in in practice, you could be a little bit physical and you got to stick your knee in the ground. You got to stick that leg. And by the way, as I I first noted, and and I was surprised to learn this, that it's the same leg as his high ankle sprain. Man. And I, I, this guy is... Well, he's tough as he's, nails. He's amazing, as Doug Peterson said. He's he's tough as nails. Oh, yeah, he has been. He's that that almost uh, typical stubborn Texan, right? Country like, tough. Country yeah. tough, exactly. Thank you. I, I was making it sound negative, stubborn Texan, but I meant to make, no, that, he's, make that positive. The question I have, amazing. though, and it, not, not necessarily a question for you like an interview, but something that oh, I think pops up into a lot of our minds is now you have Jason Peters and Lane Johnson who are as tough as nails and giving it everything they have. But at the same time, if they're trying to play, but they can't, what they're doing is taking almost all of the first team reps during practice. But if they come out, That's a good point. that right. does not benefit a guy like Big V, who may have to play seven, just like I hadn't even thought about it. That's a great point. Not, yeah. And I think with he Big, needs a reps to Big, Big V. v <laughs> he needs that. I think he plays so much yeah. better when he's not forced into impromptu action, but he has a whole lot of week to know what his assignments are, what he needs to do from a confidence level. So you wonder if it's really hurting more than helping or hurt. I mean, of course we all want the, the team to have its starters out there, but you do fact, have to factor in that maybe this hurts them in the long run. Yeah, and, and let's give uh, Jeff Stoutland credit because what happened was they had a couple – remember, Jason Peters also left that game, and Isaac Sayamalo had to play right tackle, mm-hmm. uh, and Big V played left, and that is hard to do, man. Losing your tackles – you know, the Redskins just lost uh, two guards uh, for the year. Uh, and they're dealing with a uh, left, left tackle. tackles out for a month. Yeah, yeah it could be a month. Um, so it, it's hard, man. This coaching is very important. So let's go. Let's go forward here for Sunday. And here, here now the fans asked me this on Twitter. I want to respond to this question, and I think it's a fair one. Now we don't because we don't work for the team. We don't know. We don't have the information the Eagles have. Why cut DeAndre Carter? Who I know he only had ten punt returns. He was fantastic. The thing that I love about DeAndre Carter, Jeff, as a punt returner, unbelievably aggressive and physical. With this injury that that Darren Sproles had, as I noted on our show six weeks or five weeks ago, he has a grade two MCL sprain, a, 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 a hamstring strain. Right. It's a four to six, four to six week recovery. He's, he's recovered, but he's 35 years old. Why not keep this kid around? Because what if he's claimed off waivers? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Right? I thought Jordan Matthews might be the one to go. 
because you typically your fourth and fifth wide receivers are guys who are special teams dependent, right? You you need them to either be on the, the coverage or the return units, or they're actually returns returners. So if your top three receivers now are Alshon Jeffrey, Golden Tate, Nelson Aguilar, you would have thought receivers four and five would have been Shelton Gibson and DeAndre Carter, or Shelton Gibson and and. Um, mm. Well, yeah, that's what I would have thought of instead I, of Jordan Matthews. No, here's why. Jordan or Matthews. Would you have cut Sheldon Gibson? I well, I, I would have um I would have found one of those backup safeties. You know, these these the, the Sullivan kids. Well, what, what what are you gonna get out of Jordan Matthews now that Well you, no, he, no, because he's now you and I may not agree that he should be playing on the outside. He, they've been using him as a downfield passing threat. It's just like again, we right, it's out of necessity. Before they had Golden Tate. But Golden Tate's really not and he's not an X receiver. He's really not He's a. I think Doug Peterson in his Wednesday press conference really, really framed Golden Tate well. He's a short to intermediate route runner, right? Running after the catch. Now he may wind up getting a twenty-yard catch, but it's really not a deep threat. So knowing that he's going to line up primarily inside, and Jordan Matthews at least has shown the ability, remarkably, to to make a play downfield. You, you probably need him. Well, what I'm saying is, when Doug is in his eleven personnel, his beloved three wide receiver <laughs> formations, he yeah. is going to have. Nelson Aguilar, Golden Tate, and Alshon but I'm Jeffrey for on the depth, field. Though, but I'm still talking about depth here. First of all, Sheldon Gibson has shown that he can't be on the field. I mean, this is a... This is, then look, you, could, you could have cut Sheldon Gibson instead of DeAndre Carter. They're not, he's a draft pick. He's a fifth-round pick last year. Despite the great preseason and offseason, it hasn't happened. I, I, look, again, you and I probably would do that because uh-huh. he has not shown the ability to get on the field. I mean, Jordan Matthews ha- has. Cut Pumphrey. I don't, I don't see the biggest big deal here anymore. I really well, don't. Well, what I would ask you, I mean, you've got all these kids. I mean, the, the, the LeBlanc, they, they claimed off waivers. He's a tough. He's just, my, the Nickelback. My, I'm told he's a slot, rece- uh, slot corner. Yeah. Tough and physical. I talked to um, I talked to someone who was with a team. You know, he's been on the Bears and Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a tough. He's very physical, but not fast at all. Inside corner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chandred Sullivan, maybe they could have cut him. I mean, this guy will never see the field. Right. So I, I get why they're keeping Matthews because he, you, you could play him. He's very functional. Jordan Matthews is. You know what you're going to get from him. But it, just spinning this forward here, looking at the receiver position, you're looking at Jordan Matthews being your fourth or fifth, the Eagles' fourth and fifth receiver. Uh, other than that, I mean, that's it. Okay. Who else are they going to stick in there? No, I mean, I guess that's it, to your point. If it's not 11 personnel with those three top three I mentioned, then it'll be some right, 12 n- personnel. N- now with now I'm going to throw this back it. at you. Yeah. Okay, you just mentioned Goddard. Thank you. That's where I wanted to go here. Uh, I, f- I have a feeling the exact opposite that I had three weeks ago when I said on our show, I'm hearing that Goddard's going to be more involved. Oh, yeah. Now that Golden Tate's here, forget, forget it. it, right? <laughs> forget Am I right? It. Yeah, no, forget it. He's going to go back to three wide receiver <laughs> I'm formations. with you there. He may try to run the ball a little bit more out of 12 personnel, yeah. but that means you have Dallas Goddard on the field as a blocker, which is fine because he's a very good blocking tight end for what the Eagles have, but they will not... I don't see him being incorporated into the passing game. All right. Not that he was in the first... Like, he was out there against Jackson, but he only caught one pass. It was a touchdown. Correct. It was his only catch. That was a great route. Was that was a muscle job, by the it way. It was a great job. He, he is a really good football player. Uh, before we move on to Golden Tate here, here's the story with Goddard. I, my sense is... It's not the Eagles saying this to me. It's just the, 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 the way that I knew when I was told about why Jai didn't get involved heavily last year. Um... It takes. It's really hard to make a trade for a player in season, mm-hmm. and then it's also hard to figure out a player who's a rookie. To to now that Doug's Doug Peterson and Mike Rowe are juggling all of this now, I I don't think they're going to figure Goddard out until the off season. I just don't. 
Dallas Goddard, to me, once they figure him out, I think it's going to be incredible. I think they have a chance here to... I mentioned when they drafted Goddard, and when we were talking our first couple shows, that the Patriots were onto something with Aaron Hernandez before he got in trouble, and Rob Konkowski. We've never seen anything like this in the National Football League. People forget, if you look at the numbers, they were off the hook. I'm not saying it's going to be that great, but I think if Doug is willing to just accept that Dallas Goddard could be a great player... I think they could, they're they on to something here with this, but it's not going to happen this season. Well, historically, I would say in the league, for wide receivers and tight ends, it does take a couple, a year sure. at least. for Outside of that 2014 season, was it, draft that gave you Odell Beckham and Sammy Watkins and Mike Evans, right? That That's kind of rare. What's more, more normal, and if you look at the wide receivers and tight ends drafted, is that there's some assimilation time. I mean, look at Corey Davis having a nice year for, for time. He's they, great. Yeah. They couldn't figure out how to get him in, in, involved. And he was well, he was, he was hard with the hamstring. Right. But typically, we, we just don't see two tight ends on the field where both catch the football. Correct. We just don't. But this is a special case. I know from talking to the Eagles about this, their plan was to have Goddard eventually when he would learn the offense. Well, he clearly has learned it. it, it it's not in, that's not an issue anymore. It was to figure out a way to get them both involved in the passing game together. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think it's going to happen this season. I think it's more of an off-season plan, a, a off-season project for Doug. But let's spin it forward here with, with Golden Tate because I'm so excited. We, we talked last week about how we thought when we had Greg Cosell on, on, on our Saturday show, how we might see it. I think people need to be realistic. To think he's going to come in here and catch, remember, folks, he was on pace for for 101 catches, mm-hmm. which is six to seven catches a game. That ain't happening here. I think it's three to five a game. I think it's, you might see a jet sweep. You might see Orbit motion. You might see him as a running back. I think you might see that eventually. Wow, him as a running back. Uh, remember, I he's like a, that. He, uh, no, he's built like Darren Sproles. So, I mean, listen, he yeah. was a running back in high school. That's true. And he's a very smart guy. He's a high character player. They're going to love him. The fans are going to love this guy. He's great with celebrations. Uh, he's he, he he gets Philly. Uh, his press conference. If you haven't seen it, go to the Eagles website and watch it. His introductory press conference was incredible. He's and his a smart kid. He's and his interview yeah. on really uh, kid. his Angela was his interview with Angela Cataldi. You could see you could see you could hear it uh, mm-hmm. the the archive of it. The, this guy's a really really unique football player. He's the most unique slot receiver I've ever seen. I can't wait to see it. So get week one against Dallas. He had that monster game against the Cowboys earlier this season. So. Jeff, yeah. do you think he'll be a factor week one? I think he has to be a factor. And I think I wouldn't disagree with you that he's, in the long run, he'll probably wind up averaging fewer catches per game as an eagle because I, I would like to think that they're what they're trying to rebuild is the offense last year where there was no 1,000-yard no receiver, no 1,000-yard running back, very spread, very balanced, very difficult in that case. So predictable now. But it wouldn't yeah. shock me if in game one they really did try to put the ball in the hands because with Dallas a little beat up, over the middle, no Sean Lee, and with the Eagles really kind of needing that spark, I always it just seems like when the Eagles get a player, they try to use them advantageously quickly as much as possible. Um, I, if you think back to Jay Ajayi, his first game against the Broncos, he did not carry the ball much, but he was involved in the as a as a decoy, the handoff on an RPO that wound up being a touchdown pass from Carson Wentz to Alshon Jeffrey past the Kip Tlaib. So it wouldn't surprise me if they do try to get the ball in his hands as much as possible. He had a big game already against the Cowboys earlier this year. So you know that he can present a matchup nightmare for them. What I'm really more wondering is on the defensive side now, it seems like from Doug Peterson's press conference, Jalen Mills is going to be out for a little bit, and Sidney uh, Jones is also not going to play in this game. It's so a you're, stretch. You're yeah, down it an like outside corner, and yeah. you're still down your nickel corner. What makes sense to me 
with Corey Graham being back, which also sounds like is going to happen, it would make sense to me to continue to start Avante Maddox as a safety, but when they want to be in nickel, which is 60 to 70% of the time, to bring Maddox down into the slot and play that nickel slot and then bring Corey Graham as the nickel safety. Does that make sense to you, or it, would you it, do it differently? It does, because quite frankly now, they're really down to three corners that mm-hmm. you, could, you, could, you could realistically use. Obviously, Ronald Darby will start. Then you've got... Rasul Douglas, Rasul Douglas. think, will take Mills' spot, right? And uh, Vontae Maddox is going to have to play some corner. I, I don't see... Like, Cravon Le, LeBlanc is a slot corner, I'm told, okay? Yes. I talked to a personal source with one of the two teams he played with. Great name, by the way. Cravon, Cravon LeBlanc. Right. Uh, he's a tough inside corner, very physical, but does not run very well. Right. Like, he's just yeah, a tough, no smart ideal player. Nickel. There you go. Um, who's willing to be physical. So they're really down a corner here now. They're lucky they face a team that's not only offensively challenged, pass game challenged. You're not really worried. Amari Cooper's a nice player, but you're not. The Eagles played him last year. He didn't do very much. Right. He hit one bomb, one, one deep pass down down the right sideline. We were at the game. Uh, that was an awful game with uh, Derek Carr didn't play well and, and, and uh, Foles didn't play well. But you're not worried about it. Uh, you're not worried about their tight ends. They get nothing. They, they did an awful job of replacing Jason Witten. It's like they didn't know he was going to retire. Awful job by Jerry Jones. Oh, by the way, he's the general manager. Yes. And so, he's the uh, judge, jury, and executioner yes, there. correct. And hey, if you're an Eagle fan, you should love the fact that he backs Jason Garrett. And Jason Garrett should get a lifetime contract the, to coach the Cowboys. The memes I'm seeing on Twitter <laughs> about the Cowboys. The Eagle fans, are, uh, they are loving this. They're loving this. Do, do you think the Eagles could put Jason Garrett out of a job after this game? Could it get that ugly that Jerry Jones three and has six? No, no I, here's why. It would, they would be. Would they be three and six? You say what? The three yeah, and five. That's right. Right. That's no. right. Here's why. Jason Garrett has been with the Cowboys on and off for twenty five ish years. Remember, he was at one point Troy Aikman's backup. I don't think he would disrespect him that much. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Ed Werder, my good friend. We formerly worked together at ESPN. He said, you know it. He didn't see it either. He goes, it would have to be a situation where the team quit on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and that's always like the the Raider team, the Raider Niner game last week. The Raiders looked like they quit. They just did. You know, John Gruden didn't agree with that. He thought that they still had the passion and the energy, but it would have to be over a series of games where they just didn't show up. And then, then that changes the narrative. But mm-hmm. um, they're a team that's reeling. Again, everything sets up here for the Eagles to, to win. Now, blowouts are hard to predict. Their, their talent level, their defense is so competitive and so good with Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard and everyone else there that they should be very good. Uh, I, I don't see the Eagles scoring three. If they scored three touchdowns, I wouldn't put it past them because Carson Wentz is playing such an elite level right now. Mm-hmm. And you would talk, you've, been, you've been reaming the Eagles' philosophy on offense of being too conservative. No, being um, not... A little predictable. Yeah, a little predictable. And I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I am so fascinated by the Golden Tate sort of addition here and what sure. they can do. No, no one's going to give us the answers to the test here. But my sense is, and I know you were talking about it, is they're going to have a package of plays here that fit his style. One thing about Doug Peterson is really special. He gets what players bring to the table. You can't just think he's going to get 10 catches in this game. It's just not realistic. I think three to five, and it's going to take advantage of his w- ability to run after the catch. It could be a smoke screen. It could be a run. They actually may do a toss. They may run it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But they're going to do something here that we're not expecting. And Doug is such a great play caller. And Mike Rowe's a, a, a pretty good thinker from talking to the Eagles about him. So I think something will happen here we weren't expecting. And the beauty is he's had the time. Yeah. Think about, Coming when, the bye. Think yeah, about right. Nick Foles and the slumping offense and everything. And you gave this guy a week 
an extra week to figure stuff out. <laughs> and not only did you get see a lot of people will think about the difference you got in Nick Foles, but they forget about the flea flicker, about the wing counter with Nelson Aguilar, right? The flea flicker with Torrey Smith. Yeah. They forget about all the things that Doug put into the the playbook. And then of course the Philly special when they had a chance to prepare for the Super Bowl. Give Doug time. He not only figures out personnel-related issues, right, but he also adds curveballs to the playbook. So I expect to see both. I, I expect to see an incorporation of Golden Tate, but also something different, something unique that we've kind of been waiting for all year. Well, he adds a little juice. And the, again, the fans, to summar, summarize him up, uh, they're going to absolutely love him. I, I look forward to being at the game. I know you'll be there for a serious and... Uh, the ESPN radio. Yeah. You, the updates. Your updates. And yeah. I'll be there. Uh, I actually probably will be doing some serious after the game. So, um, and we'll be on the station. So I, I love that. Uh, th- this is a good, this is a cool week. I was kind of secretly hoping Dallas would win. So they'd be four and four. So this game would have a little bit more juice, but... I think you were alluding to it. The Eagles could actually put them out of their misery. They fall to three and six. It's completely over. How do you look at yourself in the mirror and say a statement like, I was hoping Dallas can win? Come on now. No, I'm just playing. Uh, as a Philadelphian, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> I hate that star, though. Oh, That's the thing. Even as an uh, unbiased journalist throughout the years, yeah. I, there's, there's very few teams, very few teams that I grew up hating. Okay, Notre Dame is one. Dallas is another. No, you were in Brooklyn. Were you in New York or New Jersey? Queens originally, okay. then Connecticut, and then okay. Jersey. I've been right. all around. Then Pennsylvania it. for yeah. four years. So I've, I've been everywhere. But consistently, the teams that I grew up hating were Dallas, Notre Dame football, and the Yankees. <laughs> and maybe the Atlanta Braves, too. Really? Not as much, just because they dominate. You know how the, oh, the early 90s. You know how yeah, when a team yeah, just yeah. wins yeah. and wins and wins, you just naturally Only one hatred world, for them? One, the one World yeah, Series, Yeah, I know, right? but the yeah. 14 division titles. You That's know, amazing. It was like, yeah, come on. That many? Wasn't it 14? I don't strong? know. I have no idea. It yeah. was definitely double It's digits. crazy. It seemed like they won every year. It yeah. did seem like Got they it. won every year. All right. I want One thing I want to bring up about this game, because you mentioned it, right? And you were in my wheelhouse. You said Dallas had a chance to do some damage against the Titans, but what happened was they turned the ball over a little bit. Tennessee capitalized off a shorter field, right? Right? What have I been saying all year long about the impact that turnovers can have? And I really believe that Sunday's game against the Cowboys has to be the start of of a defense that, and Jim Schwartz talked about it on Monday in his press conference, that has been doing a very good job except this one area where they do not produce turnovers. And when I looked at the Eagles' offense during the bye week, I did a little Doug Peterson stuff myself. (laughs) Self-scout? Yeah, the Eagles' offense, people have said, well, what's held it back is explosive plays. True, but they're averaging more yards per game this year than last year. So they're not getting there. Yeah, they're not getting there. They're getting the same amount of yards, just not getting there as quickly, right? They're also red zone scoring. Their, their, their percentage is lower by 10%. But they have more red zone touchdowns this year than they had at this point last year. So for overall scoring, you can't put it all in the red zone. The biggest difference for me is last year, the Eagles got 22.5% of their points. Their total points were scored off turnovers. That's almost a quarter of their offense, Adam, Mm. scored from turnovers, right? This year, it's down to 9.5%. That's a, that's a 13 point something percent drop off in the production that the Eagles offense is getting because of turnovers. So what I'm seeing is an offense that goes down the field. They're still no, they're actually number one in time of possession, Adam, by more than they were last year. Got a score. They got a score, yeah. but they need short. This is an offense that has been ravaged by injuries. They need that occasional short field. Go back to last year, Carolina Panthers, big win. They picked off Cam Newton three times. Season opening win against Washington, broke, broke that five-game losing streak. 
four turnovers in that game. This team has not produced more than one turnover in a game other than the Tampa Bay game. Now, I think part of it is, you know, they're not playing they're not playing with a lead like they have in the past. I think Oh, no, come on. I mean, well, they have no, 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 but I'm saying the Carolina. whole season. I'm talking the whole last year cuz part of it I don't want to take too much away from the Eagles, but their schedule, they destroyed the Niners. The Cardinals now. The Broncos were not as good as we thought they were, and they weren't. They're not well coached at all. Right, I think that's part of it. Um, but the, the, they were a scoring machine last year. The Eagles are down six point three points per game. That's a lot, man. That's, that's not a point. That's, that's not huge. a half a point. That's ridiculously high. Um, and, and the funny thing is, the one thing I would add to what you were saying is Carson's average per pass attempt is higher this year. That's my point. I cannot believe it. Like I never would have believed it when I looked it up. Like it doesn't make any sense to me because where where is this coming from? This I, is my point. Yeah. The, 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 the stats don't make sense. How can right. you have more yards, right. higher average per play, better quarterback efficiency, both in completion? He, he's playing out of his mind. And yeah. have fewer points. And I, the one thing that comes back to me is that they're not. They have to go so long. They have to travel the length of the. An average scoring drive for the Eagles this year is sixty-two yards. An average scoring drive for the Eagles last year was fifty something. So it's down because they're not. Getting the turnovers. Well, let, let me even. Yeah. I'll go take. It's still got to be further. better in the red zone, though. Th- that's fine. That's, the problem. that's fine. I, I, I'm not disagreeing. That's I'm not the number one issue not, I have. Well, I think it's still turnovers. Mm-hmm. I think you can be better in the red zone because you're putting a defense that was just on the field back on. Ideally, sure to field. Obviously, yeah. last year yeah. through eight games, they had scored 54 points off turnovers. So eight, the 54 divided by six, six points a game. That's a lot. This year, they have 17 points off turnovers in in eight games. So what's that? Two points a game. So that's about a difference of six six points, right? So what I'm saying is if you put six points more on the board in every game for the Eagles this year, they win three of those games that they lost, and they tie Tampa Bay, who they were down, they lost this by six. They so, were losing uh, to Tampa direct, Bay no matter what, but, though. They didn't but play no, well at all. If you give them an extra turnover right. in that game in a shorter field and they score a touchdown, that's a huge difference, right? Also, if you tackle O.J. Howard... And if you don't blow a coverage, so yeah, I, that, that all. But that, the Tampa Bay is the only game that they, they were not winning. I mean, they, they got off to a bad start, and you, you can make it look cosmetically better than it that, was. That, that's but fine. But that was my the only point game. is yeah. uh, just those a slight difference in turnover margin would have helped this team immeasurably. Fair point. I I, I get point. it. They're not. They're not. And they're, they're not. And I mentioned this uh, last week. You know, sacks are one thing. That's just that. That's that's the you know the so called cherry on the top. That that's individual play. It's the hurries. Mm-hmm. Make the quarterback get rid of the football before he wants to. If you do that, you're going to get turnovers. Which they are because yeah. Fletcher Cox is is tied with Aaron Donald right now for quarterback hits. And Michael Bennett... Well, hits is another overrated stat, man. Yeah, but if you hit the quarterback... Why didn't you hit him, though? You're forcing And usually, follow through when the ball's at completed 20 yards downfield? I mean, what is it? Even if you hit him... Even if you hit him after the throw, the throw itself should be rushed because he knows the rush is coming at him. Now, Ron Jaworski told me years ago, he goes, quarterbacks hate to get hit. He goes, there's accumulation of, of hits. It starts to get into their head. So eventually, if you keep doing it, if you saw Matthew Stafford get sacked ten times, I mean, it, it, they just destroyed the 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 Vikings. Did they've gotten their defense back since the Eagle game? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a game spinning a fort here with the Eagles and Cowboys. The Eagles have a really big advantage here. The Cowboy offensive line is not anywhere close to what the hype would 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 would, would tell you. They're without their center, Travis Frederick. Right, he's For been the out season. all the year yeah, with, with Deion the, Barr. Yeah, which yeah is, he won't be back. I know people who've had that. Yeah, it's very it's difficult. And then uh, I believe they've lost Connor Williams now. Well, he game, mu- it's he might- not definite. He had a minor uh, knee procedure. Uh-huh. Very iffy. That's a problem. Yep. Uh, their depth isn't great, so the Eagles are going to have an advantage here. Anytime you have, you talk Fletcher Cox, he's got advantage over everyone, but. A lot of the matchups favor the Eagles here, okay? Overall, just from a schematic standpoint, coaching definitely favors the Eagles. The Eagles have a better coaching staff. Number three run defense versus a team that wants to run the ball. But I'll say this, the Cowboys secondary is really good. Their corner, Byron Jones, is having a pro ball type season. He's been 
they, they did a smart thing moving from safety to corner. Yep. Uh, he's really good. Uh, they're very stingy. They don't give you a lot. Uh, this is going to be a schematic game where the Eagles, I think, coaching staff will be better. I just don't know if they're going to score three or four touchdowns. It might be a 17-6 game. It might be a 20-13 game. But overall, the Eagles, are going, the Eagles somehow should be better than the other team. It's a division game, Adam. It's a team that's crying right now for any kind of momentum. You've got to put your foot on their throat early. And I believe this, and I'll, I'll repeat it. This is a game where I already expect the defensive line to do what it does, which is create pressure, create hurries. This is about the linebackers, who I think have made very few plays this year. I'm talking about Nigel Bradham and Jordan Hicks, and about the secondary, not giving up big plays. Here's the good thing. Dak Prescott, in coaching terms, is a see it and throw it. He does not throw with anticipation. He rarely does. That means that their receivers must win, or he's going to hold and he's going to get sacked. You remember last year against, against Atlanta... When they gave up, um, I don't, geez, I, I don't know what the number was, but uh, I think Tack McKinley, but so, someone had like six sacks, mm-hmm. some ridiculous it number. It was, it was uh, Adrian Claiborne. I mean, Clay, okay, yeah. bottom line is, these have a big advantage here of coaching and schematics. Mm-hmm. I, I, it stunned me if they lost this game. Uh, I would probably agree with you. I think the the Eagles definitely have the upper hand. I would like to see them force turnovers, and I would like to see them come out offensively like last year where they are peppering the field with a variety of weapons. All right, well, we're going to bring in the third leg of the Inside the Birds podcast, former Eagle, former Pitt Panther, and, of course, Wildwood legend Billy Osborne. Ozzy joins us, and listen, we've been talking a lot, Ozzy, about Golden Tate. This will be his first game playing with the Eagles, how he and Nelson Aguilar could coexist. What are you expecting out of Golden Tate in his debut as an Eagle? Well, I expect him to do what he's been doing for the last you know, five, six, seven years of his career. He's a guy who's consistently catching over 90 balls a season. He's a tremendous third-down receiver. What I love about him, and I think what, Co- uh, what, what, what Greg Cosell said on our show on Saturday was that, you know, at some point at the line of scrimmage, you've got to win against man. That's just the bottom line. And what we've seen over the years is the, the receivers for the Eagles not having a lot of success or consistent success against man-bump coverage. I expect that to stop this weekend with Golden Tate being out there, and I expect them to try and get him the ball early and often just to let him, let him get in touches, let him get into the offense. I don't know how many plays he's going to get out there, but I think he's going to have a couple of packages, and I expect him to get the ball early on. So, Bill, I know you had a you told us off air that you had a chance to talk to the, the great Mike Quick, number 82, and uh, he had some thoughts on uh, Cooper, I think, and, uh, and Golden Tate. Well, actually, I teased him a little bit, and I said, Holy mackerel. I said, after watching uh, this Amari Cooper, I said, it reminds me of another great receiver who never got, co- uh, never got covered off of bump coverage. At the top of his route, he was explosive, and he came out of his break and transition like nobody's business. And he just laughed, and he said, uh, no, this guy's a lot quicker than I am. And I said, Mike, I'm telling you, I've watched so many of your practices and watched you, you know, up close in person. Uh, Golden Tate or um, Amari Cooper reminds me so much of you. That burst that he has at the top of his route that gets separation, is a, there's a reason why this guy is one of the best receivers in the National Football League. If you want to know why, there's three reasons. One, watch what happens when teams bump him. Two, watch his stem off the line of scrimmage in his burst. And three, watch him at the top of his route and coming out of his breaks. He's unbelievable. And Mike Quick said, that's something that really concerns me for our secondary going into this weekend. Well, especially if Jill, with Jalen Mills very unlikely to play. I mean, Rasul Douglas will be in there. Uh, you saw Cooper had a touchdown early for Dallas, and I, can't, I think people felt like 
that was a, a big breakthrough for the Cowboy offense. It turned out really not to be. But I guess what I would ask is when you talked to Quick about both Cooper and Golden Tate, did he seem a little bit more enthused about one? Does he? What is his just overall viewpoint on Golden Tate and the Eagle offense? Well, I, based on what he said, I mean, he, he actually almost, almost lumped those two guys together, which made me feel a lot better when I looked at Amari Cooper and watched him over and over again. And when he, and you look at Golden Tate, what he does, it's basically the same thing. It's very difficult to bump him at the line of scrimmage. I don't know if he's the, you know, Amari Cooper is more of a strider. Like, he gets up on you quicker with less strides. Whereas, you know, Tate's not that big guy that he is. He doesn't have the wide radius. But he's just as effective off of bump coverage. He's just as effective in space. He gets more, if not, as the, as the same amount of uh, separation. His hands are above average. And he fights for every yard after the catch. So, you know, I, I think what we gave up and what we're going to get with Golden Tate is, uh, is, a, is a dynamic playmaker that we haven't had around here in a long time. And I really think it's going to help our defense because if you double up on him, it obviously we, we have so many other weapons. I say we. I know Adam gets on me about that. But the <laughs> Eagles have so many weapons. I, I, I remember I haven't played for them in 30 years. And when I did, I really didn't even play. But they're the hometown team. And the bottom line is that when I look at them, I'm thinking about that offense. And, you know, we have our little, own little debate about the offense and defense. So, I'm looking for the offense to pick it up, and this is another weapon that is unique in the National Football League and does give our defenses fits when you try and match up against them each Saturday and Sunday. All right, now the unsung angle here that Adam and I have been talking about and is really the theme of this podcast is that it's Dallas week. It's Cowboys week. Ozzy, you played for Buddy Ryan. He may be the most notorious cowboy hater there is that made him perfect for the city. His rivalry with Tom Landry was something that the fans of this city just clung to with, you know, bare knuckles. They loved it so much. Give me some of your Jimmy Johnson, really. Yeah, and Jimmy Johnson too. It was great. Okay, to be able to that stick was a it bad to them both. One. That yeah. was bad, yeah. Give me some of your vivid most vivid recollections of Buddy on Dallas week and what he was like. Well, Buddy was a character to begin with. Like, he wasn't the type of uh, coach that you definitely knew that defense was his forte and he loved the defense. And he almost made you as an offense guy. You kind of feel like you're an outsider. And if you were a kicker, you forget it. I mean, Buddy's just an old-time guy. He's just a, he was a gravelly guy. The way he dealt with you at, in the podium as a, as, a, uh, as a news media was somewhat what you got on the field. But we... I guess you could say he was enduring to us, uh, endearing to us. And I kind of had a special place with, with Coach Ryan because, as I think I mentioned before, Danny Raines was one of his favorite players of all time. And Danny was basically what they made some of that defense about. And Danny was a special teams player when he played at Chicago. And Danny called Buddy on my behalf, and then Coach Ryan signed me to come on board after I got done playing a pit and broke my collarbone. Helps to so know Buddy kind of liked me, so he would tease me. But when it was Dallas week, it was absolutely hysterical because, you know, uh, everybody walked on eggshells. Coach Ryan would be, uh, you know, just as, uh, you know, two times as gruff as normal. (laughs) One time I remember walking through the locker room, he was like talking to the team and he was yelling and barking about how we got to win and how we got to do this. And then we were walking out to the practice field and just like kind of casually looks at me and he goes, how'd you like that, 13? In other words, like, (laughs) Whether it was calculated or not, you know, he wanted his team to know that it was Dallas and he was going to put on a performance. And before he went out to the practice field, you know, he was giving us a little extra that he normally doesn't give. And then when the game started, it was, I mean, he, 
mean, I, I don't want I, I to speak for him, but he hated Dallas. I mean, he had an absolute, like, you knew when you played Dallas, it was almost like you were trying to win for the head coach. And he, he took it personal. I mean, he literally took it personal. And there were some stories that went around with the body bag and Jimmy Johnson. Um, let's, just say, let's just put it this way. Buddy did not defuse the situation. Now, did he hate Dallas because he coached here and he knew how much the fans did, or did it just come inherently with him? Is there something about the Cowboys in particular that he himself just didn't like? I think it was personal. I, I think he just. I think it just. I think it just blew up when he became uh, the Eagles' head coach. But that's a great question. You know, we should we should get uh, one of his two sons on the line and see if uh, <laughs> at some point and see if they if they have any insight to that. But I don't know if he was as the coach when he was with the Bears. Or even before that, when he was with the Jets, back when he was out there with, uh, you know, Weeb Eubank, and he was back in his early days. But there's something about the Cowboys. Let's put it this way. I know he hated Jimmy Johnson. And I think Jimmy Johnson had the same contempt for him. And I think they, you know, they talked about Jimmy Johnson's hair. And, you know, they were glad that that he got pelted with snowballs and things like that. So, (laughs) you know, it 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 was not an act. Let me just tell you something. It was not an act. It took every ounce of his energy to go over there and shake Coach Johnson's hand or talk to him before the game. Before the game, it was like ice. I mean, nobody said, nobody even looked at each other. It was quite the time to be an Eagle, that's for sure, with Coach Ryan putting, un, uh, I guess you could say, putting fuel on an already unbelievable yeah. rivalry. Adam remembers those days well. Growing, oh, man, up, growing up here, I mean, growing up here, Bill, the star represented hate. We, we hated, even if you weren't an Eagles fan, you just hated that star. My good friend Dave Spadaro spit on the star. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, in Dallas years ago. I mean, Don't know you if just he'd be happy about you bringing that. No, back look, up, I used to call him Gaylord, Gaylord Perry. You know, the, the, the spitter. But right. um, yeah, I, I was Bill. Were you growing? I know you were in South Jersey, guy. But were you? Did you grow up as an Eagles fan? Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a big Eagles area. It's kind of funny. Like I, I would say that the Eagles were my my hometown second team. I wore number 12 in my entire career, and that was because of a gentleman by the name of Bob Greasy. Mm. And when I was young, my mom and dad would take my grandparents down the, on the Italian side. They would, like, flock to Hollywood. You know how, like, the Italians and the Jewish people would go down to Florida, South Florida, Adam? You know how that goes. Where, you know, <laughs> go on, Miami, what are you, stereotyping there? You were old, that reminds you were me of Italian, a line of good fellas. Jewish person, that's where you went in the wintertime. <laughs> and my parents were, or my grandparents were Italian, so they made the trek down to South Florida. And that was the time when the Dolphins were really, really good. And it was Dolphins everywhere. Uh-huh. So I became kind of like a subplan in Miami Dolphins fan. So Miami was my NFC or AFC team, and Eagles were my similar. NFC. You know, it's funny with the pit because I love Marino. My my grandparent, my grandmothers moved in with each other uh, in South Florida when their husbands passed away, and like Bill in the early '80s, I became a Dolphin fan just because I would go there on my own. My brothers were way older than I was, so it is amazing how fan you, you know you you become a fan of a particular team. The NFL sure. is the only sport. Where no matter where you grew up, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a fan of that team. Did you know there's a major, major Chiefs uh, oh, contingent Chiefs. in this area? And Pat, there's a big Packers contingent. Dolphins are one of those teams yeah. that travels really well, too. They have fans all over the country. I, I agree. Well, uh, last thing. Let me, let me, let me, I'll tell you two things to that. Number one is that when I was, uh, when I was young and we went down to, uh, to Miami, I... When I went to Pitt and we played the Hurricanes in the Orange Bowl, I almost had tears. Like it was that, it was that meaningful to me. It was almost as meaningful as when I played at the Vet 
mm-hmm. and, and more meaningful than when I played at the Meadowlands for the first time. Wow! And it was just because it was a, it was a, something that I had seen so many times, and I watched on the you know on the weekends, and then we used to drive by it. We went to Hollywood, Florida, or Miami, Florida. That was really special to me. And you know, your, to your point about how these you know or these pockets. Well, I was just talking to somebody yesterday. One of the biggest eagle you know contingents. It's in South Florida, and every weekend they go to the Parrot down in Fort Lauderdale, and they watch the Eagles games. I mean, it's huge. Huge Eagles so bar, right. by the way. Yeah, the, the National Parrot. Football League. No matter where you are, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you where you live is your favorite team. That's right. All right, before we let you get out of here, real quick, give me a thirty second synopsis of the game on Sunday, Eagles Cowboys, and who you think comes out on top. All right, the Eagles come out explosive. They're going to come out uh, throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, you may not even get more than, you know, I'd be really surprised if they run the ball one time in the first 10 plays, hmm. especially in the 10 play. If he, if he has a running play in the first 10, if he didn't run the ball when they had a lead 17 to nothing in the fourth quarter and they ran 18 or they, they threw 18 straight times, I don't think in this situation he's going to run the ball in the beginning of the game with that, with that you know, intensity. Unless, it, unless they get a, you know, a, a pass where it's second and one or third and one, then he might have to throw one in there. But I expect him to come out swinging the ball. I expect him to get the ball to Tate early and often. And then I expect him to settle in, and you're going to have your normal Cowboy-Eagle game. And I think the Eagles are just too – I think they're just, uh, you know, they're just better than the Cowboys. And the Cowboys, unless they have a complete transformation, they are, they are a bad football team. So, you know, I, I expect the Eagles to win by a couple touchdowns. All right, Ozzy, thanks for catching up with us. Well, obviously, you'll be back, and all three of us will do the next podcast uh, next week, and we'll be wrapping up that game and looking forward to the next one. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, Adam, that was pretty good stuff from Billy. Uh, Obviously, Cowboys, Eagles, hate it runs deep, man, (laughs) from coaches to players to the fans of this city. You and I have talked about it a little bit. I want to, before we end this thing, I want to kind of go back and ask you about just in general, you know, growing up in Cheltenham and everything like that, just your standout memories of Eagles Cowboys. It really was the the NFC Championship game, uh, Jaws to Wilbur Montgomery. Uh, I forget what the play is called, but that one run, Wilbur, so underrated, and how cold it was. I was at the game before the Viking game, uh, the divisional round game, and then it was the championship game here, and just how just how much it galvanized everyone. It just was an incredible experience, and I'll never forget. I was I was at Penn Charter then. Uh, that's the same school that uh, Ruben Amaro went to, Matt Ryan went to, McGlinchey went to, uh, Mark Ubazaw went to, and great sports school. And I just remember all my friends. It was a male, it was all male then. Now it, they have girls in there, but um, I just remember going to school, uh, going back to school, and we were all like, it, we were in all of it. We had this is the best year of Philadelphia sports. You know that all four teams made it in eighty and eighty one: mm-hmm. Flyers, Islanders, Sixers, Lakers. Eagles, Cowboys, Phillies, Royals. Phillies won. Sixers lost. Eagles, Eagles lost to the Raiders. Um, if Flyers, Islanders. It, it was just it was, an, it was a renaissance time for Philadelphia sports, and you would learn to hate the star. I just as a kid growing up, you you despise the star. You were either for or against the Cowboys. Nine percent of the people here hated the Eagles. Now there were Cowboy fans. Mm-hmm. Now this is when you the, the legendary Philadelphia sports fan they got they got their name. They got their name because of the hate. We absolutely as much as I hated the Celtics. I'll get that to another time. We'll do it for the second Cowboy game. 
I despise the Celtics, but I hate the Cowboys ever, even more. That damn star on your phone that I'm looking at, <laughs> we absolutely People hate that star. That star, it was something about that star, and, and uh, it, it, it never leaves your consciousness. As an objective reporter, I don't care if the Eagles win or lose, uh-huh. but when we talk about the Cowboys, it, 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 I just, and Jerry Jones, and how he fired Tom Landry, the yeah. awful way that he did it. Just well, how about how he fired Jimmy Johnson because his ego wouldn't let him uh, admit that somebody coached that team well and it wasn't oh, just him. Oh man, and how they fought and how he fired Tom Landry, which was awful. Yeah. Jerry Jones and j- just the way that uh, everything went down. So that, that my memories were hating that star growing up. I mean, we'll, we'll have more stories the second time that we, we talk about the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, one thing that sticks out to me is I can't stand that stadium. I didn't like the, the, the new older one. one. Oh, the I didn't one. like the new one. Yeah. I'm not a dome guy. I'm not an indoor football guy. Some are okay. The Superdome, I don't mind because the fans are so awesome. It gives the place personality. AT&T Stadium has zero personality. It's just a big carnival. I think the scoreboard is out of hand. And it's just, to me, a very antiseptic environment. It's anti-football. It's all about everything that's it's too not big, football. by the way. It's too it's big. It's enormous. Yeah. It's a cave. It's I've ridiculous. Been there. I was there for the Super Bowl. It was uh, the Green Bay Pittsburgh one, I think. Yeah, one of, one of my favorite games between the Cowboys and Eagles. Not one that you know. It's not body bag. Not bounty bowl. It's not anything. Oh. Okay, it's a different Bounty one ball. because oh it just showed you the depth of the rivalry, <laughs> and it doesn't matter. What I know the where you're going. Are. Go ahead. So in 2007, which is my second year on the beat, you know Donovan's coming back from the ACL. They start off five and eight. They're out of it. They're not a very good team, but they got three games left. They come off a bad loss to the Giants, drop to five and eight, and then it's December 16th. They got to go to Dallas, right? Dallas is 12 and one. They're doing great. They're having an awesome year that year. They go down to Dallas and they come out with a 10 to six win. And that starts, they finished that with three straight wins at the end there to get to 8-8. Eight and eight. By the way, that changed everything about them recommitting to Donovan for the next year and then him saving Andy himself. was like, they, they were basically, I'm just telling you, they were <laughs> seemingly playing for, for, for next year. Uh-huh. And I remember everything that had to happen for them to make the playoffs was that Sunday, right? Tampa. Well, that's not the year they made the playoffs, though. This is the year they just finished 8-8. Eight and eight. At oh, the end I'm of sorry. The year. No, this is that's why I'm saying uh, this uh, is a year they were clearly. I don't remember. 2007. It's Donovan's first. Oh, was it 09 the Jeff Garcia year? Which was the Jeff no, Garcia? It's year? Garcia's 06. Okay. Okay. And then this is 07, Donovan's first year back from that ACL injury, and they get off to a really bad start. And like I said, they're five and eight. So they got three games left. The first is against Dallas. They go down there and they beat Dallas 10 to 6. Dallas was 12 and 1 at the time. And what I remember most is the final. The fourth quarter, Dallas is trying to win this game, and they have an opportunity. They're at the goal line, right? And they got mm-hmm. two plays at the goal line. They give the ball to Marion Barber twice. And you remember Marion Barber. Oh, yeah. That guy oh, yeah. was... Number 24, he yeah. He was hard yeah. to tackle. Well, Quinton Michael drops him twice on two straight carries, right, to uh, stop him from going in, and they win that game 10-6. Mm, I don't really remember this. A, I don't remember was, that game. It sticks out to me because the Eagles had nothing, nothing to play for. Five and eight. Right, and then that they go down to Dallas. They beat a twelve and one Dallas team. Romo having a great year and everything. Win that game, and then win their last two games to finish eight and eight, mm. which is a lot more respectable. And that just showed me right there. Remember, that's only my second year on the beat, and it really taught me what that game was all about because one team had nothing to win, and they went. Like I could have said forty four six. I could have said all the great. Games, yes, yes. That one stuck out. That as, game though. That game. Jeff, the 44-6 to six game. Oh, that was unbelievable. I remember, because we had to get all the scenarios correct. This is what I was yeah. thinking of. Um, I was in the press box, and we were all trying to figure out what it would take for the Eagles to get in the playoffs, and we're like, there, there's no way it's going to happen. Right. That was the most unique situation I can remember, because I had to write then for, I was writing for scout.com. I had to actually write up the game story and figure it out. 
I wanted to get it right beforehand. God forbid that they won. I want to have it ready because uh-huh. you know when you write game stories, you want to you want to make sure you're ready to go. And it was just so it was just so typical. What you the Eagles Dallas rivalry was so comical because the Cowboys fandom talks so much junk, mm-hmm. and the Eagle fandom All those you know, Dallas fans who've never been to Dallas. And plus, the you know Eagles had not had been a Super Bowl, never won it, and now, now you spin it forward eleven years later, whatever it was. It, yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. All right, let's get down to our prediction part. Adam, go. Eagles will win this game. The Eagles will win this game, twenty-four to thirteen. Um, I think what's going to happen is I I I think they're going to get turnovers because I've talked to enough people around the game about Dak Prescott, and they said he just will not get rid of the football unless the guy's open. He won't throw him open like Carson Wentz does. That, that's another scouting term. Doesn't throw with anticipation. Something's going to happen here. And I'm, I'm assuming Connor Williams will not be right physically if he plays at all, but it, that mm-hmm. he probably won't play. Fletcher Cox should have a big game. I think Jim Schwartz will have it dialed up here. I think they're going to get turnovers. I think they're going to win by 11, 24 to 13. I'm going to say Eagles 31, Cowboys 31. 17. Yeah, I think I'm putting a lot of stock in the long time that Doug has had and the short time that Dallas has coming off a deflating loss. I think that you're right, that Jim's going to have a, gr- a very interesting game plan in, and I more so think that Doug is going to really have this offense going with all that time. To and prepare. the kid, the kid <laughs> there's a kid named Adam Redman who's technically Connor Williams' backup, but they... They may, you know, they we'll see what they do. He's he's never started a game. Um, this is when you have the the tight end, the the, the TE stunts. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is when you dial up your experience as a play caller, as a defensive coordinator. Things are going to have some advantages here, and, they, and Jim Schwartz must take care of it. Yes, absolutely. I think they will. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Inside the Birds podcast. Want to thank all the listeners. Want to thank Go Birds Podcast Network for uh, allowing us to be a part of them. Uh, thank WIP, and of course. We'll talk to you next week after the Cowboys game. See you.